This episode is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that has developed a simple and straightforward management fee based on profit, not revenue. If you're a hotel owner that believes in a new way of doing business and want to learn more about the benefits of a profit-based management agreement, visit knowinghospitality.com. Now let's get to the podcast. It's very easy to have a great culture when times are easy, but culture is really what you do in your darkest, most dire moment. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Andreas King Giovannis. He's the founder of Sextant, a Miami-based short-term rental management company that's changing what not only guests can expect from a service department, but what hotel professionals can expect from the rapid evolution and iteration going on in the hospitality industry. Sexton isn't a one-off manager of Airbnb homes. They take over entire buildings, permitting them as hotels, staffing them with valets and housekeepers, acquiring liquor licenses, and use telepresence front desk agents. If you wanted to get a look at what many hotels of the future will look like, this is very likely it. Andreas gives us a look at how the company came to be, their service philosophy, staffing and retention approach, their target market, and what's next for this innovative company. I'm fascinated with this intersection of hotels and short-term rentals, and Sexton is doing it in real time. So let's get to it. This is episode 69 of the Proven Principles podcast, Andreas King Giovannis on the rise of hybrid hotels. Enjoy. Andreas, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Great to be here. So this is a conversation I've been really excited to have uh, with you because you, you're doing the thing that I, that so many people in the hotel industry have been, I guess, air quote, worried about for a little while now. And that's this like kind of, if I can call it a hybrid hotel, you know, intersection between traditional hotel and, and short-term rental property and all of that. So I want to dive into that uh, really deep with you today. But before getting too deep into this, um, maybe just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, what's your connection to the industry and, and how did uh, Sexton Stays get started? Sure. So my name is Andreas King Giovannis. Uh, Sexton is a next generation hospitality brand headquartered in Miami. And I started the same way a lot of people did, just with one property and a lot of ambition. Uh, the first three years of Sextant were totally bootstrapped. So I was the housekeeper, uh, the concierge, uh, the accountant, for better or for worse. And it really gave me a unique perspective, not just on each role, but having a focus on profitability, sustainability, and really building something that that was going to be long lasting. Yeah, and so graduating from that uh, that you know, initial short term rental host role into something that has scaled uh, so much and relatively quickly. How did you make that transition? What was the what was the spark that made that thing get going? I would say really focusing uh, not just on kind of one-off condos or condo hotels or single-family homes, but really having this vision of entire buildings. Uh, when you control the entire building, it gives you total creative control. So you can have your branding on the exterior. You can hire your own W-2 employees. So that means when the guest first arrives, that valet 
is someone who understands the company, the culture, the mission, uh, housekeeping, maintenance, being able to bring all of that uh, internally. Uh, it means that we can renovate common areas. We can get a liquor license uh, for our property like we did in, in New Orleans. So that ultimately was the more scalable road to, to go down. The second piece was I just didn't want to deal with the friction that that comes with having long-term and short-term combined. We think that is an inferior guest experience. And honestly, it's just more stressful and it's operationally taxing. Yeah. You just mentioned a few things that I know are going to get a few people's uh, ears to perk up a little bit. Liquor license, valet, W2 staff. This this is looking very much like a typical hotel, um, but it isn't in a, in a few different ways. So can you outline a little bit the business model here? Um, what is it that you guys are doing and how are you threading the needle between the kind of that typical short-term rental and typical hotel? Sure. So I think a lot of people in our space are trying to solve this problem where you have the inconsistency of, of an Airbnb. Your host could have weird quirks. They could be overly invasive. The property isn't standardized. Cleanliness is, is all over, is all over the map. Uh, and that's why people end up choosing hotels. It's because they know exactly what they're going to what they're going to get when they walk into a Marriott courtyard in Miami or in, you know, Orange Beach. Uh, it, resort market, urban market doesn't doesn't really matter. You know exactly what you're going to expect. And so our mission is to take the best of both of those asset classes and combine them. So that means having the space, the comfort, and the value that you would get with an Airbnb and combining it with the professionalism, the amenities, uh, and the consistency of, of that hotel product. Yeah. And doing it at scale. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With a hotel permit too, which is an important detail. That's a really interesting model. I mean, from the guest's perspective, uh, do they know that they're like, I mean, obviously you've stayed at hotels. You kind of know what it's like when you walk into a property, you know, whether it's a high end or a, a select service property. And there's a certain um, expectation of uh, staffing certain positions in the property, certain expectation of different amenities around the property. If you were to just, if, if the layman was to look at staying at one of your properties versus booking at a hotel down the street, would they mm -hmm. be able to tell the difference? I think they would. So everything that we do is about reimagining traditional hotel operations and cost structure. So when you look at, at a hotel, you might have two people sitting behind the front desk, a separate concierge desk, an F&B component. Uh, we want to have all those things, but we're doing it in a more tech-enabled way. So I'll give you a specific example. When you look at the front desk, you have this one person sitting there 90% of the time, just not really doing a whole lot. There's this big rush of check-in and check-out. Uh, maybe printing out a couple of reports, but most of the time they're just answering questions and making key cards. So that wasn't really an efficient use of, of the hotel's time to, to staff that position in, in that way. But at the same time, they're giving the guests something that is so important, which is 24-7 front desk. People don't want to call a 1-800 number. They don't want to download a mobile app that they're going to use once. 
Uh, they want to be able to walk downstairs, talk to a person face to face in real time and have their issue resolved. So our innovative solution to, to this problem was to say, these people aren't doing anything physical. They're behind a computer. They are putting in a maintenance ticket, printing out uh, a, a receipt or emailing a receipt, um, putting in uh, a, an extension or some type of modification of the reservation. All of this is done behind a computer. So our thought process was, well, why would that computer have to be behind that front desk? Why couldn't it be halfway around the world? So we partnered uh, with Double Robotics, which has this telepresence uh, technology where you can interact with someone face-to-face -face in real time, just like we are now over a Zoom conference, but the robot physically can, can move around. And what that allowed us to do is take advantage of a labor arbitrage in the Philippines where we can find incredibly hardworking, knowledgeable, knowledgeable people who are fluent in English. You wouldn't even know that they, that they were out, outside of the U.S. and get them to fulfill that traditional front desk role. So you can walk into any of our full buildings and ask for the best Italian restaurant in the neighborhood. What floor is the gym on? What are the hours? Can you extend my reservation? And we can do all of that. And then for the key card component, we got rid of all, all locks that had key cards and, and switched to uh, your typical smart lock. So that, mm -hmm. that resolved the key card issue. And what that allowed us to do is still give the customer that 24-7 front desk experience but at one sixth the cost. Yeah, this is, we were talking for a little while now, uh, leading up into the pandemic, but certainly since hotels have been coming out about how to deal with the staffing challenges in the industry right now. And it's, it's all, it, even in good times, it's hard to find people to work in, in hotels. And the, there's always been this, like, this sort of, thought, I think just sort of back here in the back of everyone's mind about like, how are we going to not only just deal with these staffing issues, but when is automation and some of these other telepresence options out there, when are they going to make their way into hotels? Um, and to see it happening in real time somewhere, I mean, the, you guys really could be paving the way for uh, maybe a tidal wave of this to, to make its way into hotels and not not necessarily out of a desire to want to go that way, but necessity just because of the lack of resources. Yeah, absolutely. So whenever we're looking at traditional hotel operations, whether it's that that front desk or F&B, we're thinking about how do we leverage technology to provide the same experience, but at, at a fraction of, of, of the price. So we did something similar with, with F&B uh, where we put a bar in in the lobby, uh, we got a liquor license. Um, but instead of having a bartender, we just put one of those automated wine dispensers, something you might see in a restaurant mm -hmm. or an airport lounge. And that was really, uh, really our answer to kind of creating that same energy, the same atmosphere, but again, without having to pay for a bartender. And that telepresence uh, virtual concierge can actually check your ID uh, to, to make sure that you're, you're legally allowed to buy that alcohol. Oh, wow. Um, and then just going a little bit deeper into the building then when it comes to housekeeping and, and, you know, turning rooms and linen and, and, uh, maintenance and all that, what is the, just a quick summary, what does the back of house look like? 
Yeah. So unfortunately, no, no, no robots yet. Um, <laughs> our, our vision has really been to attract the best talent by, by paying the most. A happy employee is a productive employee. And we thought that we had to control the guest experience, not just by controlling the building, but having every single employee aligned uh, with the mission of the company and really to give them individual KPIs. So let's take housekeeping, for instance. Uh, we operate very similarly to, uh, to a traditional hotel, except we're not using any temp agencies. Instead of paying a temp agency $20 an hour, uh, and they in turn pay the housekeeper $10 an hour, we're paying that housekeeper our $15 an hour minimum wage. So not only are we saving money, but that housekeeper is simultaneously making more money. Um, the second part is having these individual KPIs where when we have a guest leave a review on Airbnb or booking.com, there are subscores that relate just to cleanliness. And we're able to accumulate all those subscores and give housekeepers individual feedback and scores and say, hey, you cleaned uh, an average of 4.8 out of five last last month. And here are the three best reviews. And here are three three reviews where it showed maybe there's a little bit more room for improvement. And what this does is it gives people upward mobility. So you can start at Sexton as a housekeeper. Uh, when you average 4.8 for six months, you can become an inspector, um, then a housekeeping supervisor. And then we've had people even cross over entire departments. So you can go from housekeeping to front desk, and then from front desk to a building manager, and then a city manager. So when you build employees up and everyone is surrounded by these success stories of people who immigrated to the US um, where before even coming to Sextant, they made a dollar a day. Now they're making $15 an hour. And then to end the year making dollars $80,000 uh, as, as a city manager, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, you see these people buy their first home, buy their first car, uh, send their kid to college. Um, that's what really motivates employees. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's, I, I, I had that experience myself in hotels where I was able to, to bounce around and, and try different things and work in different departments and sort of work my way initially laterally across mm -hmm. and then start to make my way up the ladder. Um, and, and I only bring that up because there's so many parallels, again, to, to what you're talking about, to people's individual experiences in the hotel industry where they've done the same thing. Um, and the difference might be that those individual KPIs that you're talking about maybe aren't as administered uh, so um, specifically to each individual employee mm -hmm. within a hotel, yeah. you know, so I'll give you an example. A lot of properties or a lot of companies have moved to the NPS rating model, right? Where you're just trying to see if people would recommend you. And there's a lot of science behind, mm -hmm. you know, whether or not that equates to a certain level of business success. Um, and they tend to be moving away from those really long form feedback yeah. calls from all things, you know, JD power and all the other rating agencies. Um, but Threading again, I, I use this term again. We're kind of threading the needle and finding that that space where you just get relevant feedback that is going to tell you whether or not the guests are enjoying their time there. But you can also have the discipline and the diligence to pull out relevant information and apply it to how the employee is performing, 
And then you use that data to, to reward them for good behavior and you, and in a meaningful way, not just a yeah. Starbucks gift card, uh, then, exactly. or, you know, choose your gift card. Um, yeah, that's going to create powerful, powerful, not just, yeah. you know, that's a retention recruitment strategy, but also for like, when it comes to like buy into the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, absolutely. I think the issue is with, with some of these third-party agencies is there's no recognition. Uh, you can do a great job or a terrible job. It doesn't matter. At 4 p.m., you're done for the day. And to your point, the incentives are these small spot bonuses, which which we still do, but nothing is more frustrating than having promotions kind of be random. Uh, maybe the housekeeping supervisor just happens to see that you did a great job that day, but you hadn't done a great job the last three months. Um, and someone gets promoted uh, ahead of you who who maybe shouldn't have. And that's incredibly demoralizing. So it's not just about upward mobility, but it's about transparency, predictability, and and fairness. And you need those data-driven decisions to, to be able to do that. Yeah, merit-based uh, more than anything. Yeah. Um, with a mix of remote workers and on-site on-property workers, I would think that it's very important to have a, a well-defined service philosophy and a way to measure it. Um, if if you had to describe what the company's service philosophy is um, and how it came to be, how would you do it? Sure, I would say we have seven core values. I won't list them all, but on the most basic level, it's empathy. We have to be able to relate not just to our coworkers, but to the guest, uh, to investors, to owner partners. Uh, it, it really comes down to that. And it's very easy to have a great culture when times are easy. But culture is really what you do in your darkest, most dire moment. And so for us, that was obviously the second week of March 2020 when uh, when Trump issued the European travel ban and bookings just fell off a cliff. And we really stuck to what made the company great. And we said, look, um, we are going to pay all of our rents on April 1st, and we aren't going to furlough people. We are going to figure out uh, how do we pivot to this new long-term model or midterm model. There's demand people coming from New York or Boston or San Francisco, the uh, areas that that were hit hardest uh, initially, traveling nurses, um, student housing. A lot of people, a lot of students couldn't go back. Um, they couldn't leave leave the US. Um, so it was it really came down to adaptability and and empathy. But if if I were to choose one word, it would be empathy. Yeah. Um... I'm curious to get your thoughts on on how to create and how to maintain high level service delivery, which is which is what a lot of this is about. It, service delivery can happen in many different ways, um, and it means different things to different people. And that's the tricky part about it is that people grade great service in many different ways. If I was checking in and I didn't want to talk to anybody and I had to stand there through a five-minute spiel from somebody who had to hit all of these brand standards before I got my key, like I would get annoyed and I might not think that that's great service versus someone who does want to have that conversation 
when they're arriving. Uh, and the front desk person is just very short and gives them what they need and then, and then moves on. It's very transactional. It's the same thing. Um, but in my experience, the ability to stay or to have more of a hip to hip interaction with somebody when they arrive in a traditional hotel sense is a Mm -hmm. much easier way to create a, um, uh, an emotional connection with somebody and, and Mm -hmm. be able to like kind of read their body language and sort of know how to tailor your delivery. Here's a long-winded way of saying, um, there's different ways to deliver high touch service. Mm -hmm. Uh, traditionally in our hotel world, that's always been, uh, face to face, hip to hip. Yeah. How do you do that when you start integrating more technology? Sure. I think our perspective on this is you can't go uh, all the way on the other side of the spectrum and just say everything's going to be robots, totally automated behind computer screens. But we have to still do it in a cost-effective way. So for us, that has actually been kind of hybridizing some positions. So we've done that with valet. When you think about valet, they can be incredibly multifaceted. They could be front desk. They could be overnight security. It's someone who has to be on the property uh, 24-7. But just like the front desk, a lot of times they're just kind of sitting there waiting for a customer to uh, to come by with, with their car. So valet is incredibly important to us because that is really the first impression. It's the first person you see at the property, how they greet you, how they open the door, do they make eye contact, uh, how do they welcome you. And that is kind of this new approach where we don't uh, we don't call them valet anymore. We call them hospitality agents. And that person has been cross trained for overnight security. They know how to make a reservation in in the computer. So I think really we can still have that human element twenty four seven at every single property, but it needs to be a revenue generating position. So we've had a lot of success with that in in valet. Yeah. The, the revenue generation piece, and, and I, I skipped over this at the beginning um, in the interest of keeping it a very well, a well-formatted show, but I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, when you walk into uh, the owner of, the, of a building, when you walk into their office, you set a meeting with them and you say, hey, we're Sexton Stays and this is what we do and we want to take over your entire building and we want to yeah. run it this way. Um, how do you... So many questions. How do you approach that conversation? (laughs) And what are some of the hurdles that you might run into? Because again, you know, and I'm going to tie this back to sort of the traditional hotel world. You know, if you're working for a management company in a hotel space, almost guaranteed somebody else owns that building. Now that building has Mm -hmm. always been a hotel and they've, they've, you know, made the decision whether or not they want to run it as a hotel on their own or that they want to go and hire a third-party management company to take care of that for them. But it's still a hotel mm-hmm. and everybody knows it's a hotel. How do you go yeah. into somebody who owns a effectively an apartment building to say, hey, this may not be the best use of your building. Why don't you try doing it this way? Yeah, absolutely. So I think everybody agrees that COVID fundamentally changed the way we live, work, and travel. And whether you look at it as transient uh, three or four night stays um, or kind of this new segment of traveler that's that's evolved to who wants to stay for one one month to, to six months, we kind of see this blur of what's housing, what's hotel, what's what's Airbnb. And 
we feel like we can create a product that is superior to anything else and that it could be all three of those of those segments if if it wanted to be and we kind of see this as this new housing on on demand so to speak so we explain to to landlords and say look everything's changed housing is on demand it needs to be flexible you need to be able to stay there comfortably and affordably whether it's one night one month or one year and that's what our that's what our product does um as far as the sales pitch, you know, we can always pivot back to our performance during COVID. Again, no, uh, no lease terminations, no missed payments, no employee layoffs. The same thing uh, was true with Hurricane Ida, the Category Four hurricane that just uh, directly hit New Orleans on August 30th. Our rent went out September 1st. So we've we've always been there, even though we're not as big of a name and we don't have the same balance sheet as some competitors or a big a big company like Marriott, in a lot of ways, we're, we're more sustainable and more reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hotel world, there's um, very well-defined target customers. And depending on the property and where it's located, it will be a it will be a different mix of effectively the same group of people. You just, your style of hotel and where you're located just might dictate where that right. mix ends up. Um, who's your target customer and how do you, how do you define it? Yeah, great, great question. We have a distinct focus on, on group travel. Um, that could be, uh, that could be families um, or it could just be a group of friends. And what's what's particularly interesting when you get into this segment is it doesn't just have to be traditional families. It could be the family you had in in high school. Um, so it's all of these these different uh, different groups, but generally group travel, leisure. Uh, that's just a product of of the markets that we're in, and we like this focus on on group travel in particular because there just isn't really a great product for it. If you were to go and book a trip with seven of your high school or or college buddies, um, it would be a totally different experience to stay in five or six hotel rooms. There wouldn't be any common areas. There wouldn't be this interaction. You wouldn't have a living room or a kitchen. Um, And ultimately, you couldn't really create memories around the space. That's what we're doing. We're not selling rooms as much as we are selling memories. I think there's some hotel people that are listening right now to hear you say that you're one of your primary target customers is the group market, which is a massive part of, of a typical, you know, hotel demographic, hotel, uh, target demographic. Having always thought that it was the leisure traveler that was more at risk or the leisure market that it was a little bit more at risk for their hotel, but hearing that that there's opportunity out there for group people to stay in, I'm going to use short-term rental as a catch-all, um, is, is probably a little, uh, maybe a little terrifying actually. Cause I think many may have thought like, oh, we can deal with a little bit of loss of leisure traveler because that's seasonal and, you know, we can make it up in other ways. But if you guys are going after group travelers during group travel seasons, um, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, I, I think there's kind of this interesting view where 
if you looked at uh, before COVID, if you asked Marriott who their biggest threat was, they might have said Hilton. Maybe if they were visionary, they would say Airbnb. We think it turned out to be Zoom uh, of of all things. Um, so when it comes to kind of are we a competitor to uh, to hotels? I think we're we're alternate. Sure, sometimes people are going to choose us over over a Marriott, but we certainly aren't uh, aren't the biggest threat. The biggest threat is how people have have changed. It's remote work. It's these it's these new travel patterns, these new trends, and the technologies that that make those trends possible. I think that's a really good point. You're not necessarily trying to do a land grab on hotels. You're just meeting customers where they are today, and as hotels exactly. need to evolve. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had an interesting story, though, just speaking of the Marriott thing in our intro call about uh, about getting a group uh, referred to you guys. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah, sure. So we knew that there was going to be some opportunity with, with Hurricane Ida. Uh, there are just a lot of first responders, uh, utility companies that needed housing. And we had a great product because we have the kitchen, the in-unit washer, dryer, the living room, so you can stay comfortably for the two months that most of those people were were staying there, and we we are partnered with with Marriott, so we're on Marriott Homes and Villas. You can redeem your Bonvoy points at any of our properties. And Marriott called us and said, "Hey, we have this this lead with this you know Fortune 100 uh, utility company, and they specifically requested uh, apartment hotel product or service department product." And we were able to strike a deal with them. Uh, it was very large. Marriott's commission was was six figures, um, and it was it was a win win. So I think the winners of the hotel space are going to be the people who have really embraced uh, this this new segment and leaned into it. And you've you've seen some hotels like Four Seasons or Conrad where they do have condo hotel product. It's not totally. Uh, totally novel. This has been around for a very long time, but Marriott was really the first one to really lean into it and not just come in as an operator, but a platform. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I, I, I can see, you know, my wheels are spinning right now. You know, if you bring in a hotel sales, salesperson who's got those connections, you know, within the industry, I mean, you could, you could totally see where you may just start being able to peel just you know, a, a handful of rooms off periodically, and send them into uh, uh, to Sexton or you know the like. It's pretty pretty powerful. Yeah, if I were a traditional hotel, I would start thinking about adding a kitchenette, uh, something as simple as that, or maybe just a connecting door to 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 start. If they don't have that already, they have the zoning, they have the real estate, and it's really just a matter of calculating how long is it going to take if we shut down a few floors in the hotel to to renovate is it worth it to kind of ab test uh one floor against another and i think the sooner hoteliers start having the conversations like that the the better off they're going to be yeah um how do you tackle the direct booking uh, puzzle sure so i think the most obvious thing is having the lowest price on your direct site. That's by far the strongest value proposition. Um, second is really 
leaning into uh, into Google. So we kind of see Google as this great equalizer where they're able to display rates across several platforms, whether it's Verbo, Booking.com, or our own site. And when travelers are searching and they're looking at rate comparison, uh, being priced 10 to 15% lower um, is extremely compelling. And we're still netting more because that's roughly the, the blended commission uh, when you're partnering with those with those OTAs. So mm-hmm. we, we do want to be in charge of our own destiny. Uh, it was very painful when Airbnb rolled out their extenuating circumstances policy where they just refunded everybody carte blanche um, the second half of March in, in 2020. We had over a million dollars leave our bank account. And even before that, we knew that it wasn't a great long-term strategy to uh, to be so reliant on those OTAs. So every commission we pay, we see that as money that could have been used to build our brand and win that customer over to our direct site. Yeah, yeah. There's this interesting idea that was brought to me and it was blindingly obvious when it was brought up. Um, and, and I was so annoyed at myself that I hadn't thought of it sooner. But um, the idea of using OTAs as a search engine for your property. In the hotel Mm -hmm. world. So, you know, a certain percentage of people, once they go to say Expedia, they find the hotel that they want to go to, and then they will go to that hotel's website directly to learn more about it. And that's your opportunity to capture people. Um, And I see this, this is effectively exactly the same thing. You know, you have show up on, you know, your OTA, your STR OTA site, but having a really well built out site that people can go to, to learn more about the company. And then that's where you hook them. Uh, absolutely. And in the event that the OTA does win, maybe they're not as as sensitive to price and they just like Expedia, they have loyalty, whatever it is. The OTA can win the customer the first time. They should not win the customer the second time. So you need to make sure you're doing a great job um, letting them know about your brand, collecting that email address, uh, that that phone number, and making sure that you get them the second time. Talking a lot like a hotel manager, aren't you, uh, Andreas? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's true. There's just so many parallels between uh, between the two worlds. Um, what's next for Sexton Stays? Great question. So I think a very interesting segment is 30 Day Plus. And this really kind of came up by chance uh, just being in Miami, which was kind of one of the stronger urban markets. Uh, a lot of people came in from New York uh, and in California, and we're staying here for a few months at a time because we didn't have as as many restrictions and you could work anywhere in the world. Uh, you're untethered from that physical corporate headquarters. So why not come down to 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 Miami and uh, and enjoy yourself? And so we started getting our nightly rate for these three or four months bookings. And then we even saw people extend and say, you know what, I want to stay for six months and one day, uh, because Florida has, has, you know, very, uh, very advantageous tax tax climate where there's no personal income tax. So even though they're paying this high rate, a lot of these New Yorkers, uh, were actually still saving money just because they, they were able to, to be a Florida resident. And so we kind of see housing shifting. Um, 
where it has to be on demand. It could be for one month, three months, or six months and and one day. And when you look at Airbnb, it's not really a great tool for that. There isn't always three months of, of vacancy, if you're priced correctly, at least. Yeah. Um, people most people can't afford to pay that that uh, that nightly rate. And then the place isn't really designed for leisure. Uh, or sorry, is designed exclusively for leisure. It's not it's not designed for someone who's going to live there full time where you have a, a, a desk and two monitors and fast internet. That's not really uh, a big component for your average uh, tourist who's coming to Miami for, for three nights over the weekend. Um, at the same time, we look at the MLS as another platform, uh, the software that, that realtors use, the platform that realtors use. Um, it's so much friction. You can't rent a place unfurnished and then buy furniture for three months. A lot of HOAs don't allow you to stay for less than 12 months anyways. And realtors don't want to do all this work for a $200 commission. So we kind of look at the existing platforms as Airbnb is great for transient. The MLS is, is great for annual rentals. But there's this new segment of travelers who need to stay for a few months at a time. And nobody has really tapped into that. So that is is really, I think, uh, our our next move is to take a look into that uh, that industry, which is you know largely antiquated and less competitive than than hospitality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, you know one of my big takeaways from this entire conversation is that you know speaking strictly as as a hotel guy who's just started to get into the short term rental space. Um, there's been for for a number of years now, and I've been in these meetings, sitting around these board tables, um, talking about whether or not this this side of the industry is a threat, um, whether we need to pay attention to it, um, and I think maybe a little bit of hubris in thinking that as a hotel professional, there's no option for me in the short term rental space. And w- what has been woven through this entire discussion for me is that. There is absolutely room for somebody who's got a hotel background in, in the short-term rental space, and you can thrive in it. And a company like yours, you know, do a little plug here, um, is absolutely a viable option because you're going into you're going into an environment that's going to feel a lot more familiar than just running a home for a random owner, and yeah. that's going to uh, allow you to to kind of keep the momentum going. And, and in a lot of ways, this is already happening. So when we look at the cost-cutting measures in travel and hospitality, they are all here to stay, uh, unfortunately for the guest. Customers have been conditioned to pay the same and expect, expect less. And you see this with Marriott. You know, They eliminated daily housekeeping at uh at a lot of their properties. Uh, Hilton had cuts to in-room dining. You even see it in uh, in airlines as well. It's really all of travel, cutting back on uh, premium, um, premium cabin in-flight meals. So I think that's kind of been the trend, not just for travel and hospitality, but really anything. When co- consumers are conditioned to expect less, those cost cuts tend to be permanent. Um, so for hotels, what that means is a lot of them are probably already operating like an Airbnb where there isn't daily housekeeping and there isn't as extensive or or labor-intensive F&B. 
Uh, and they've already done the hardest thing. They control the real estate. They have the hotel permit. That's generally the, the largest barrier to entry. So what I think the opportunity is to say, hey, we have this brand. No one in short-term rentals uh, has as ubiquitous or as storied uh, of a brand as Marriott and likely won't for uh, for a couple decades. So to me, they've already done the hard things. They just need to hire some general contractors uh, or a company like ours and come in, take a floor plate and say, all right, instead of having uh, 10, 2,000 or 200 square foot rooms here, uh, we're going to make a bunch of super efficient studios that are maybe only 350 square feet. But the amount of, of lift and the longevity and the future of the product is those pros are going to outweigh those upfront expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andreas, I really appreciate you giving a look behind the curtain, uh, what's going on over there and, and, uh, and maybe a little bit of, of foreshadowing of what's to come in, uh, in the hotel business. So uh, if anybody wants to learn more about you or Sexton Stays, where should they go? Uh, they can go to our website, sextantstays.com. Sextant like the navigational tool. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to, uh, to connect there as well. Happy to, to chat. Sounds good. I'll be uh, linking to everything in the show notes if anybody wants to find it. Uh, Andreas, again, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for your time. Great catching up. This was my episode with Andreas King Giovannis. You can learn more about him and Sextant at sextantstays.com. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.